In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. On Septuagesim, as I just mentioned, we begin to look towards Easter, which is now 63 days away. <clears throat> the word Septuagesim means 70th day, and the best explanation I can find for why we call the 64th day before Easter the 70th day is that it falls within 70 days, just like next week on Sexagesima, the 60th day falls within 60 days. And then finally, two weeks from today on Quinquagesima, we are accurate. It's actually 50 days <clears throat> before Easter. The epistle today compares the Christian life to a race. Athletes train with discipline because they want to win something. They want to win the prize, the trophy, the, 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 the thing that they're aiming at. In ancient times, in some of the ancient games, the ones that St. Paul had in mind, uh, the, the prize was a, a, a crown of foliage with leaves and branches that were twisted and placed upon the head of the victor. And of course, such a crown would decay and die in due course. And so St. Paul contrasts that with the imperishable crown of life. The goal of the Christian life is referred to in the Bible as a crown in many places. The Greek word for crown is Stephanos, from which we get the name Stephen, spelled biblically with a PH, of course. <laughs> for example, St. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, quote, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. St. James writes, quote, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, <clears throat> for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. St. Peter says that if his fellow presbyters are faithful in their pastoral work, quote, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. In the second chapter of Revelation, the risen Christ exhorts the Christians in Smyrna, saying, quote, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In these passages, the crown is the prize for victory in the spiritual life. And the crown here is not merely heaven. The crown implies resurrection, restoration to the fullness of life in the body in God's new creation. Victory in the spiritual life means being faithful through the trials of this life in order to attain unto the resurrection on the last day and the glory that will accompany it. Now, as we consider what St. Paul says here about discipline and victory, our main challenge is not merely to determine 
what disciplines we ought to practice in order to attain the prize. Our main challenge is to cultivate a sufficient taste and vision of the eternal victory to make us practice any discipline at all. Many athletes commit to very impressive regimens of training because they so badly want to win the trophy, the prize. However, few Christians see the crown of glory as a thing towards which all of life is oriented. And therefore, relatively few practice sufficient disciplines in order to attain it. The roots of our problem, I think, are twofold. First, we have an insufficient vision of what God has prepared for us in Christ. The Christian hope, the crown of glory, is often reduced to a vague notion of something called heaven, which is often portrayed as a sort of disembodied spiritual state, which, you know, in which, by implication, we can't do all the things we really enjoy doing in the body. Thus, in popular usage, heaven can sound like a consolation prize for those who have lost earth, rather than the fulfillment of all of our deepest desires. And if our vision and goal of what God has for us is not compelling, we will not be moved to practice much in the way of discipline in order to attain it. The second problem is related to the first. We have become time and earthbound creatures. Because we lack a vision of eternal life in a body in God's new creation, we try to find all of our happiness in this life, in time. Rather than looking at time through the lens of eternity, we tend to look at eternity through the lens of time. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these temporal things will be added to you. We tend to seek first these things and then add the kingdom on top as an extra in as much as it fits into the space that is remaining. The problem is that our preoccupation with temporal things is the very cause of our discontent. When we lack a vision of eternal glory, we are left with what we can get in time. And since things in time don't fulfill us, don't fill the deepest longings of our being, and since even the good things we get in time are eventually going to go away, everything we pursue will ultimately be lost. Welcome to the anxiety, discontent, and even despair of the world in which we live. The seasons of pre-Lent and Lent are seasons of opportunity. The church gives us time and space to ask questions about our lives, to consider where and how we are aiming at the wrong things, and then to begin to make some changes. The Lenten fast, which is now two and a half weeks away, of which we're pre preparing during this space in the calendar, it is not really about what we will give up for Lent. 
what we will give up only makes sense if we first ask, why? Why am I giving this up? How will this help me detach from the world and draw closer to God? The thing to aim at is the experience of God right now. Paradoxically, if we lack a vision of future Easter glory, this is usually because we, we do not have a sufficient experience of God's presence and power in our lives right now. We cannot long for the coming of something that we have never tasted. We can only long to be closer to someone whom we already know in some way. It is the current taste of that thing, that relationship, that puts within us the longing for the fulfillment, the completion. For many Christians, our future hope exists only as an idea in the mind, rather than as a longing for the fulfillment of our deepest desires. And we will not make sacrifices for things that do not capture our hearts. We will not make sacrifices for an idea. Therefore, what we need to do is cultivate our experience of God's presence and power now. We need to cultivate that taste of glory that will make that future fulfillment, that crown of glory, something that is worth dying for, and therefore something that is worth living for. The Christian life is sacramental. It is not simply about giving up everything now for something in the future. Rather, we experience a taste of something now, a union with God in Christ through the Spirit that makes us long for more, for a completion, for a fulfillment, for the new creation. The purpose of fasting is to remove things from our lives that keep us from being closer to God now. We say no to things because we want to say yes to the kingdom. And we must say no to things because temporal things tend to get in the way. They tend to become idols. See the second commandment. They take up the space where God belongs. And therefore we need to dislodge them in order to make room for God. Thus, as we prepare for Lent over the next two and a half weeks, the question to ask is, what thing or things in your life stand in the way of you entering into a closer relationship with Christ? Think about that. Pray about that. Ask God to show you what is in the way. And the answer will lead you to the things you ought to do for Lent. The disciplines you will begin to practice <clears throat> that will help you to attain Easter and the imperishable crown. As the epistle says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may attain it. 
the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.